Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to talk about everything IATA AGM. Just got back from Istanbul, and we've got lots of news that's fit to print. Thank you, and enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this hazy week on the East Coast in the U.S.? Yeah, it is very hazy. Uh, you uh, should have stayed over in Istanbul. Seriously, I went for a, a nice run in Frankfurt before hopping my flight home on Wednesday and uh, went from clear blue skies to a heavy haze where wildfire smoke is affecting the northeastern U.S. all the way down to D.C. So it's um, it's quite bad here. Yeah, here as well, up in, up in New Jersey. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it will pass. Um, but, Ned, how was your uh, your trip to Istanbul? The IATA meeting, I know, was very eventful. I was going to uh, say, we're, we're bearing the lead here, but thank you for, for calling it out. <laughs> the IATA annual general meeting was in Istanbul, everybody. Um, I saw some of you there. I want to say thank you to those who stopped me and said they enjoyed the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from listeners. Uh, but it was it was a good meeting. It was so first of all, it was, I think they said the largest AGM that they've ever had. And the note there really was bullish that the pandemic is behind the airline industry. Yeah, it, just, it seems like uh, just a really good time to be an airline. And, uh, you know, the question is how long will it last? But I imagine the mood over there was rather, uh, rather cheerful. It was rather cheerful. And when I say it, it, was, it was bullish, I mean, the outlook's good. I ought to raise their financial outlook for the year um, by a lot. Uh, they went from forecast $3.2 billion in operating profits in 2023. That was a December forecast to $22.4 billion in forecast operating profits. So massive increase. Uh, things are good. But of course, there are a lot of caveats. Like you said, the question is how long demand will last. And I got... Most answers are positive, but there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Right. It is the airline industry. So whenever we use a word like cheerful, it's always relative because cheerful in the airline industry is perhaps, uh, you know, not so cheerful, cheerful in most industries. Uh, as, as you suggested, there's uh, there's still, as always, a lot of risks and uh, uncertainties that uh, loom large over the industry. And I'm sure, you know, Iata was... Certainly, IATA is, uh, you know, from their point of view as a, uh, you know, trade organization, they never, it's never in their interest to, uh, you know, for things to be too good or for them to, you know, convey that message because their, their job is to, one of their jobs is to convince governments that, oh yeah, things are rough. So you need, you need to help us by lowering taxes and fees and helping us on the regulatory side. So. And there was definitely plenty of that, but yep. I, I generally mm-hmm. tune that out because that's a common theme at IATA. That's part part of the part of their job, right? Yep. But so it's it's so let's talk about some of the issues that that or or where airlines stood. So I heard universally demand through the summer is very strong. That was from European airlines, US airlines, Asian airlines, Australian. Demand through the summer is strong. It's the fall that is in question. Um, I spoke to United's chief commercial officer, Andrew Nocella, and he pivoted from worse language around we are seeing strong demand through the summer to we remain optimistic about the full year when I asked about the fall. So clearly they, they, well, they're not willing to comment on that, but that's something to, you know, Emirates president, Tim Clark said, we are, you know, his quote was for the next nine months, we are full. And so he was resoundingly 
confident about the fall, though his question was, we don't know what happens in 2024. Uh, and then Karsten Spohr at Lufthansa Group CEO was similarly uh, positive about the fall, but still tentative about the longer term outlook. So there's a lot of is, is, is a the fall is a wash wishy washy place among airline executives right now. It's probably going to be stronger on the international side, which continues to come back, particularly markets that are airlines that are uh, um, exposed to Asia, which is still in the recovery phase, whereas many Western markets have already are sort of moving out of that. But, um, right. you know, the picture's good. Yeah. yeah. And just, just to echo that kind of ambivalence between, uh, yeah, things are great, but we're concerned about what might happen in the fall. Uh, Air, Air New Zealand uh, just uh, issued, and we're speaking, by the way, on Thursday morning uh, here in the East Coast of the U.S. Uh, and Air New Zealand, uh, I guess it would be this morning, our time, issued a uh, an investor update. And they pretty much encapsulated that ambivalence. They said, you know, look, things are, the demand is stronger than we expected when we last gave an update in April. Fuel prices are cheaper than we expected when we last gave that April update. But we do expect more capacity to be coming into our markets and that, uh, you know, fares or average fares are going to be falling. So you have that. Alaska Airlines, interestingly, uh, they gave an investor presentation, their CFO, uh, a couple of days ago. And he said, uh, I don't want to say similarly. I mean, it was more. It was it was generally a bullish, uh, a bullish presentation uh, that demand was great. But he did make the comment that fares have probably maxed out. That that consumers, air travelers, uh, are paying now about as much as they're willing to pay. There's not a whole lot of uh, upward room, room to move up there. Uh, so, you know, take take that. As you will, but uh, but definitely some some you know, concerns. Heard, that, yeah, know, I heard the same at IATA. I mean, Qantas' CEO Alan Joyce said pretty much the same that they were seeing airfares moderate, particularly in markets where capacity has recovered. And he highlighted uh, one served by their budget subsidiary Jetstar as as places where airfares are are moderating. Um, you know, and you can read into that what you like. But for example, Qantas, Jetstar, and Air New Zealand compete a lot on Trans Tasman routes. You know, that's a market that I'm sure that fares might be moderating. But it sounds like the the yield party that airlines have been enjoying for the last since really early 2022 is is probably coming to an end soon. Yeah, that does not that's... mean yields are falling necessarily. In many places, I think they're probably going to hold steady. But, you know, the toward growth we've seen sounds like it's going to be coming to the end of the next six months. Yes, yes, and just uh, as a just as an aside here, I did want to mention that uh, you know we we talked about Qantas and Air New Zealand, their seasonal patterns are kind of reversed because of the, they are reversed because of the uh, the hemispheric difference. They're kind of moving into their uh, their winter now, whereas the northern hemisphere is moving in the summer. I just wanted to point that out. Uh, and uh, you know, the other thing I want to say is that uh, that the, the airlines right now are experiencing what we've you know we've talked about before. Uh, that triple triple tailwind, you know, they have demand being very, very strong. You have fuel prices being less than a lot less than they were a year ago. And then on the supply side, you have a lot of constraints, you know, things that we've talked about all the time that uh, aircraft are not getting built uh, fast enough and, you know, labor shortages and whatnot. Uh, so that is, you know, one once kind of giant question that I'm sure was uh, hanging over the air in Istanbul was uh okay even if demand does start to buckle a little bit even if the economy softens if uh 
you know, tra travelers start to say, okay, we, we, we got our, you know, revenge travel, our post pandemic, uh, you know, pent up travel rage. We we're done with that. We're going to, you know, cool off for a while. Even if that happens, perhaps fares do remain at very profitable levels because of the supply, these supply side constraints that everybody's talking about. Absolutely. And the, the theme, another theme I kept hearing was sort of the, the, the delta of travel spending remains below historic economic uh, GDP levels. Yeah. So even if there is, you know, yields moderate, or even if there is a small recession, and United CEO Scott Kirby said that we're seeing a recession in businesses in the U.S., uh, at least that's his view. You know, even if that slows down, though, the this because there's this gap in this delta, most airline executives feel there's still recovery room to go on the financial side of things. That maybe they get there slower than they would if the demand if demand continued, but it really didn't present many concerns, at least on the financial side of the of the ledger. Um, most are still pretty confident that there's financial gains to be had, even if if demand takes uh, slows down. Yeah, and I think that's I think it's all reasonable hypotheses. Right. And then you mentioned the supply chain sides. I mean, that was a common theme as well. Everyone was talking about, you know, MRO capacity, particularly with A380s is an issue. Emirates' planes on the ground, delays in new planes. Uh, There's a lot of talk about the 777X, which uh, I checked is at least five years late at this point. You know, Carson Spore at Lufthansa said, you know, we wouldn't be flying A380s if the 777X was out there, and they just resumed A380 flights earlier in June. Qantas cited that, you know, they were also facing issues returning A380s to service because of MROs. And then you have the the whole spare parts and engines issues, especially with Pratt & Whitney planes. You know, Air Baltic, I spoke to their CEO, and he told me that, you know, they've got as much as a quarter of their fleet is parked because of issues with uh, getting spare engines. Wow. Now, they have not had to cut capacity or cut plan capacity because they are wet leasing in planes, but that really hits them on the cost side. Their costs are significantly higher than they would be if they were able to fly their own aircraft. So, you know, there are issues. And even Indigo in India, uh, you know, Peter Elbers, their CEO, formerly of KLM, he said they're fa they're facing those issues, but again, they have such a large fleet, they're able to juggle things to make up for the shortfall in in, in Pratt and Whitney powered aircraft. So, yeah. so here's a fascinating question. That <laughs> so you look at all these uh, supply. Let's let's just take the aircraft engine shortages, and you know, ask any airline, and I'm sure they'll express their frustration. You don't have to hear from me. They they've been expressing their frustrations and earnings calls and other presentations. And I'm sure they've they've said it to you directly in, in Istanbul. Uh, you know, it's all the completely messes with uh with their ability to plan. They're, you know, relying on these new aircraft to lower their unit costs because obviously they, you know, when you replace an older, let's say 737 with a max, you're going to get, you know, unit cost benefits. So very, very frustrating, very uh you know, not something anybody enjoys, but <laughs> in the end, does all of this collective supply shortage, uh, does it wind up holding up average fares and yields and throughout the industry to the extent that it's actually beneficial to airlines? So is it like, you know, is it, um, you know, I, I joked that like, it's kind of the opposite of the, the phrase, like, be careful what you wish for. It's like, in this case, it's like, uh, you know, be careful what you complain about because maybe maybe it's good that uh, you're not getting what you wish for. Yeah, I mean that's a very good point. Uh, you know, they talk about wanting manufacturers to make more planes, but 
financially, it it is beneficial. So I don't know if anyone's going to say that it is uh, a more beneficial <laughs> than than not uh, yet, but that's definitely that is definitely yeah. a good point. And airlines are are certainly being lifted. But it was interesting. It sounded to me like airlines are still able to fly what they plan to this summer, despite the backlog, MRO issues, all of that. Whether they would have planned to fly more if this didn't exist, probably. But oh, they yeah, aren't cutting. They aren't. Last anything. year, 2022 yeah. summer, we had airlines in April, May saying, oh, we have to cut 5% of our schedule. We're seeing none of that. Airlines are able to hold what they have. So that is good. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's any question that, uh, you know, if not, if, 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 the, if the planes were available, we'd see more capacity. Uh, you know, we've even seen some airlines like uh, American not being able to do as much transatlantic flying as they would like to because the 787s are not coming. And I think there's just count, like, countless examples. I mean, we, we've had air, airlines go bankrupt uh, ostensibly because of, uh, you know, and not having workable engines. Uh, I'm referring to uh, Go First in India. Um, and, you know, we could, that's a separate discussion. Maybe they they had problems beyond just their engines. But but you see the point. I mean, there there would be more flying, I think, I think no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Jay, I don't think say- anybody. I don't think anybody said to you in instant ball, "Hey, Ned, I'm really happy about these aircraft delays, and I love not being able to get my engines fixed because it's just great. The yields across the industry are are going up because of it." Absolutely. I mean, that's true. And of course, <laughs> they all want to hold Airbus and Boeing and Pratt and everyone else to the you know hold them to their commitments to get some deals probably or some kind of concessions but, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah jay let's take a quick break and we're going to talk more about some some of the unique conversations that i had iata and sustainability hey jay we're back so you know one of the things that a lot was still a lot on people's minds was sustainability. The industry has has a goal to for net zero carbon emissions by 2050, and there are a lot of questions about whether they're going to meet it. Um, the general consensus, shockingly, is that yes, they will. But there was a lot of pressure among airlines to do more, and whether <laughs> Emirates was very clear that uh, they think airlines should do more, uh, whereas. The likes of ANA, Finnair, KLM, they want to see governments do more. So there's division on how they get there, but it was a pretty prominent topic. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely um, very high on IATA's agenda, as you might imagine, you know, trying to uh, address the uh, the environmental commitments of, of the industry uh, because it's only, you know, as time passes. The industry's coming under increasing amount of pressure to uh, to do something, and as I think we talked about in our previous podcast, I mean, aviation is just it's a hard a hard to abate sector. I mean, it's just you don't there are just no easy wins. Uh, you know, we talked about sustainable aviation fuel SAF and some of the issues with that, the cost issues, the quantity issues, uh, or supply issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, um, any, any interesting conversations that you, that you had with anyone over there, Ned, uh, regarding either sustainability or anything else for that matter? Yeah. Well, I think one of my favorite conversations that I had was actually with Indigo CEO, Peter Elbers, and, mm-hmm. you know, he took over, I mentioned previously from KLM, but he is really focused on turning the airline, uh, internationalizing the airline. So for those who aren't familiar, Indigo is a 
Behemoth, it's the largest gel in India, but it is a primarily domestic carrier. I think his data was they serve 26 international destinations, but all but one are within range of an A320 aircraft. So you're talking about the Gulf, Southeast Asia, a little bit in China. Um, but he really wants more people outside of India to know the airline. And the way he's doing that, uh, and, and he, he outlined this was organic growth. They they want to add more destinations. They just announced new service to Africa um, You know that's going to begin next year and some other new dots, Central Asia, they're going in there. So organic growth. And then one of the big things, and this is sort of high on a lot of people's minds at IDA, was were partnerships. Indigo, notably a low-cost, all-narrow-body operator, is wet-leasing several Boeing 777s from Turkish Airlines, flying those between Delhi and Mumbai and, and Istanbul, and then code-sharing on Turkish on to points in Europe. So it's really the first... The way Elbers described it, it's the first time that Indigo is putting its code on another airline's flights to carry traffic more further around the world. And, and he said those are performing at expectations. They've only been operating for a few months. So that's good so far. But he really wants to expand that. He wants to put uh, Indigo's code on Turkish's flights to the U.S. Um, he wants, yeah, he wants to do more. And, you know, it's it, it's a big lift. <laughs> There's a lot of chatter yeah. about a potential wide body order from Indigo, um, but Elbers declined to comment, though our listeners have probably read it, but they're they're looking at apparently some A330 Neos. Um, yeah, so we shall see. But that's a yeah. big thing. It was really interesting talking to him because this is a, a very Indian airline and they want to go international. And, and we've seen Indian Airlines do this before that didn't work out too well. Just look at Jetstar. Not sorry, not Jetstar, Jet Airways. Jet Airways. <laughs> Everybody, I, I just got off a plane last night, so I'm a little jet lagged. Yeah, you're so, excused. We, uh, yeah, you have to, uh, to put that uh, disclaimer out there that uh, you've been flying for <laughs> flying for a long time. Dude. Flying but for a long get... time and was promptly handed two young boys when I got home being like, <laughs> you take care of them. So thank you to my spouse for, for watching them while I was gone. So I thought it was just fascinating to speak to Elbers about that and really how he wants to internationalize the airline. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to watch, especially you've got to think, I mean, does Indigo go up market? We rarely have seen an airline go from a pure LCC to a, I don't want to say premium airline, but at least like some hybrid successfully. I mean, think about Virgin Australia. It didn't work out. They went through restructuring. They're sort of back to their LCC route, route ah, routes, uh, WestJet, similar. So it's curious. Now, he wouldn't say what they would do on longer flights, whether they're looking at new product. He said A321 XLR, which they'll start taking in the next year or two. You know, they're still evaluating what those will look like. Um, but he didn't rule out putting something like a premium economy on there or, you know, some kind of business class seat. So it's there's a lot of a lot of changes coming in to go. And basically, he hopes it's going to be an airline name that people start talking about elsewhere in the world. Yep, yep, and and Indigo should be. I mean, we should do a podcast on, on that in and of itself. It's a fascinating airline. Yeah, maybe we can know, get just... Peter on here for for a podcast later date. Later date, Peter, if you're listening, we want you on. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And yeah, there there's no airline in the world that has more planes on order currently than Indigo. Uh, more than 500, I believe, firm orders for Airbus narrow bodies. Now, wide bodies are always a much, much, much riskier proposition than narrow bodies. Um, and even if you look, you know, historically, the most profitable airlines in the world by margin tend to be predominantly narrow body operators, which isn't to say that you can't be, you know, a Delta or a Turkish Airlines or Japan Airlines, which, you know, has had strong profit record over the past 10 years or so flying wide bodies, but it is, it is more difficult. 
Uh, but right now you're, you know, as you, uh, you kind of alluded to with uh, Indigo's kind of, you know, they're sort of seem to be itching to, uh, to expand abroad. It does look like it's really shaping up into a big, you know, battle royale between Air India and Indigo. And Air India, of course, is, uh, you know, merging with Vistara and Air Asia. They're backed by Singapore Airlines. And the Tata Group. Don't forget the Tata Group. As, as the Tata uh, Group, which... our, our friend Madhuni Krishna always told me, everything that Tata's touched turned to gold. So, <laughs> you know, that's they've got some high expectations there. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll have a, uh, a big battle, uh, battle royale coming. And then, you know, you wonder if there'll be room for some some new players to kind of, you know, sneak in. And I mean, if if expectations come to pass, you know, India is going to be a very fast growing market over the next uh, few years. So maybe some of these new airlines, Akasa is, is, is one that seems very ambitious. You know, maybe they'll carve out a niche for themselves. Uh, India has been kind of a, uh, a uh, you know a cemetery for for startup airlines. I mean, we saw what happened. You mentioned Jet Airways. We, you know, we can go through the list: Air Dakan and Kingfisher and SpiceJet isn't doing very well. And now, you know, Go First is bankrupt. There's a very very long list, um, but uh, it's also you know very high potential market too. I remember I, I I probably should stop because we can go on forever talking about India. But uh, do remember that when you're going abroad. Uh, you know, it's particularly for long haul abroad from India, you, you are start to compete, you are start, you know, competing with um, the Gulf carriers and Turkish airlines. And even, you know, on certain routes, if you're going to the US, I mean, some of those markets, like if you're going to California, you can even take an East Asian airline. So you have so many options. You can go through the Gulf, you can go through Europe, you can go nonstop to the US, you can go through East Asia, you know, Hong, like hub like Hong Kong. So India's geography in that sense can be uh, a little bit thorny. Uh, so we'll, you know, see how it all pans out. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, speaking of that, I was able to, I spoke to, I think I mentioned, I spoke to Qantas uh, CEO, Alan Joyce, an incoming CEO of Vanessa Hudson, also spoke to ANA CEO, um, whose name I'm apologize, I'm probably uh, Shinichi Inoue. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong, but, you know, there's a lot of recovery still going on in Asia, particularly in East Asian markets. You know, even though Qantas talked about, you know, fares moderating in some markets, East Asia is still very much coming back. And um, it's, uh, yeah, we're going to see more from from the Asian carriers in the next year or two as they recover their schedules. You know, ANA only, you know, expects to be 80% recovered by March 2024, which is the end of their current fiscal year. And I mean, that's just says something. I mean, they are Japan's largest airline and they're only you know going to be 80% back next year, whereas many airlines in the West will be fully recovered. So there's still a lot yeah. to say there. And, and some, you know, some, some of that is, uh, you know, I think China long haul, China International still not uh, uh, recovered even, even close to where it was. And, you know, some of that is... Uh, is you know there there are a lot of specific issues with that uh, you know even even some concerning Russian air, air, overflight uh, you know access and and that but uh, you know a separate question is is China's economy seems much weaker now than it was you know certainly ten years ago so um, is that growth some people say you know well India is the new China and that's where a lot of a lot of the growth is going to come from um, that's you know another another topic to debate but. Uh, but China doesn't seem like it has that, uh, you know, real powerful 
growth engine like like it was. So, uh, you know, another another topic. And, and next year's IATA meeting will be was it? It is Dubai. It'll be in Dubai. So it's going to be interesting. You know, this is an event that normally moves around the around the world. But we're going to be going a third year in the the Middle East. Uh, with uh, it was in Doha last year. Of course, that was a, a move after um, China did not open in time to hold AGM in Shanghai. Um, that it was in Istanbul this year, which I I understand is bridges east and west, Europe and, and Asia. But we're going to lump it in with the Middle East right now, and then Dubai next year. So uh, we'll be we'll be back, listeners. Come back and join us in a year for all the news to print out of Dubai. Uh, Jay, it's always a pleasure. Uh, we're going to wrap things up as we could keep going for ages. Listeners, please. Yeah, try, <laughs> trying to stop talking about the earth. It's just so interesting. We can go on forever. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so please uh, you know, reach out to us. Uh, we're always uh, available to chat by phone or whatever if you guys want to talk airlines, but um, any, any of our listeners. But uh, for now, um, thanks, Ned. Thanks to our listeners. Any final words, Ned? Just want to say, if you want to reach us, you can reach myself at er at skip.com. You can reach j at js at skip.com. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.